On today's show, the Hawks pick up a home win with a buzzer beater behind DeJounte Murray. And we'll talk about the latest on the trade market as well as everything in between. And all of that is on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1632 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And today's show is brought to you by the folks at FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, if you're a new customer, get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet at FanDuel. It's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. Also, at the top of the podcast, I should encourage you to make us your first listen each and every day. Please subscribe to this podcast and check us out. Follow all those fun, all those fun things at Spotify, Apple, also on YouTube on the video side. Anywhere you get your podcast, we should be there. I appreciate everybody listening to the show, as always. And today's podcast, we'll dive in deep to what became a 106-104 to win for the Hawks at home against the Orlando Magic on this Wednesday evening. Of course, the Hawks lost to the Magic just 10 days ago in overtime, a close spot game that they almost stole and they were not able to in the end. This time, another very, very close game, but it broke the more positive direction for Atlanta. Just to set the stage a little bit here at the top of the show, Neither team in this game had a lead of more than seven points. It was about as close of a game as it possibly could be without without going to overtime. In fact, in the fourth quarter, it was a three-point game or less the entirety of the fourth quarter. So it was very, very tight. In the end, DeJounte Murray knocked on a buzzer beater in a tie game to win it. It wasn't quite a buzzer beater this first time, but actually Murray made a game winner the last time the Hawks beat the Magic in Mexico City. Uh, so some synergy there between those two events. This Hawks, this Hawks one got, actually makes the team 3-2 and two on this five-game homestand, which is very funny because the vibes have been so poor during this five-game run. But 3-2 and two is 3-2. and two. Should have been 4-1, probably. Should have been 5-0, and oh, maybe. But hilariously, the Hawks were outscored by almost 30 points in a 3-2 and two homestand. But uh, three wins are three wins, and this was a close one for sure. Uh, we'll touch on like, some trade stuff later on in the podcast as well, but we got to just start now with just how profoundly weird this game was, to be honest. Beyond how close it was, the biggest point of oddity in this game was that the Hawks just could not take care of the basketball, and they won anyway. So this is an offense-first team, as we kind of all know if you're if you're following the Hawks closely this year. They had a, about a 110 offensive rating in this game. That is well below the league average, much less well below the Hawks average, which is well above the league average, generally speaking. And a big reason for that, probably the number one reason for that, was their turnovers. So they had 23 turnovers in this game and managed to win it anyway. Uh, for reference, that's the season high for the Hawks. This is uh, game number 40 for Atlanta, so almost the midway point of the season, and this is their season high in turnovers. They average 14 per game or so. 23 is not like a ridiculous number for a season high, but it's a very, very high number of turnovers in a 48-minute game, and they led directly to 28 points for the Magic. Usually, that is a glaring problem, and one that's going to cost you a game more often than not. And really, it was a problem the entire game. But, and look, I should at least give some props to the Magic. They are very good at creating havoc defensively. They are top five in the league in turnover creation on defense, but still a very bad number for the Hawks. And uh, really kind of, they earned it. They were really rough in, in ball security. But in the end, they overcame that by being good enough everywhere else. So they were good enough on the offensive glass in this game, particularly in the second half. They had a huge possession late in the game where they actually had five offensive rebounds on one possession that led to a bucket with about two minutes to go. Uh, DeJounte Murray was actually asked about Ke- uh, by Kevin Shannara, my friend over there at Hawks.com, about that about that play. And he said Wes, Wes Matthews, who was not actually in uniform, but is kind of the veteran of the team in a lot of ways, 
He said that he told the team West did that it, at least to him, it appeared like the team actually wanted to compete and wanted to win the game late. So that was a cool reference by DeJounte. The Hawks also shot the ball well inside the arc in this game. 58 points in the paint, 54% shooting overall in the game. They really attacked the rim very well in this game. It's a good defensive team. Almost half of the Hawks' shots were at the rim. An excellent ratio, as well as 73% from the field when shooting at the rim as well. That's a very positive number. They were not great from three in this game. It didn't take a lot of them either, uh, but they also shot very well at the free throw line. Not a ton of attempts, but 20 of 22. So they took advantage of those attempts. That's a positive. Also, they had good balance. Murray led the team in scoring, uh, and Trey had 12 assists, but six guys had double figures. They were very balanced and very effective uh, in at least most ways, other than, again, ball security. But crazily enough, I know I focus on this a lot on the podcast because it's usually a pretty good predictor of what's going to happen, but the Hawks actually took 12 fewer shots than the Magic. And when you do that, you are likely to lose because, yes, there's shooting variance, all that stuff, but the Hawks taking 12 fewer shots than their opponent is usually a disaster. But in this game, they did just enough, and I mean barely enough, to win this game uh, despite you know that disparity. Um, of course, kind of fittingly, I would say, Murray makes a very tough shot at the buzzer, one that he's capable of making, obviously, as we saw. He's a good, tough shot maker, but that was a tough shot. He buried it, and it was enough to sneak out of there with the victory. Defensively, I thought it was actually pretty good. So offensively, you could say the Hawks performed below their norm, and that would be very fair. Defensively, they were better than better than normal. Now, Orlando, in contrast, is kind of the opposite of the Hawks. In fact, Trey said that from the podium, kind of in a pretty candid, refreshing way. Trey was kind of like, the Magic are the opposite of us. And he's true. it's true. The Magic are a not great offensive team that's good on defense. And the Hawks are, of course, the opposite of that. But in this one, the Hawks had a ton of defensive rebounding issues in the first half of this game. In particular, Capella had a rough half, and it was kind of he was not alone by any means, but he sort it was sort of the focal point because of how good he usually is on the glass. But improved, they improved a lot there after halftime. That was a key to the victory, and they held in the Magic to about a one ten offensive rating in this game as well. Um, Orlando only had eighteen assists in the game. That's a very good number, and it's usually an indicator of them of a team forcing the other team into tough shots, like one on one situations. Paolo Moncaro. Uh, is a very good player, former number one overall pick, all that fun stuff. He was 8 of 25 in the game, and not because he was missing a lot of easy shots. And Quinn talked about this after the game as well. Um, they definitely did a good job on Paolo, whether it was Jalen, whether it was even Sadiq, Akangwu, Capella. Like, they got lots of crowds on Moncaro and made him take tough shots the entire game. Now, he, he had a big one at the very end, a relation to tie the game, but it was it, even that was a pretty tough look. So, Hawks held the Magic in check all the way around. Lots of tough shots long possessions, and in general, they made things tough-ish on the Magic. Again, it wasn't perfect, but after halftime in particular, the Hawks did a good job closing possessions and doing what they had to do defensively. So you have to grade on a curve on some level, but um, I think that this is a good win for the Hawks. They were favored in the game by about four points, according to the friends, our friends at FanDuel, who actually didn't cover the spread. The Hawks have been so bad against the spread this year, which is kind of funny. And look, this game does not re- sort of erase the results from this weekend or from the second half. Uh, of the game against the Spurs, even that they won, they were not playing very well in the three games previous to this. But this is a good win. It's not any landmark win. You're still at home. You were a favorite. Um, Orlando was without Franz Wagner in this game, for instance. But the Hawks are still down a starter as well, without, without DeAndre Hunter. And uh, amidst all of the other stuff that's swirling around, trade rumors, poor play, etc., the Hawks are now 17-23, and that's not where you want to be if you are Atlanta. I'll be the first to admit that. But at this very moment, the Hawks are now back in the plan. 
they're the 10 seed at this moment as I'm recording this podcast. So does that matter? I'll let you decide that um, on your own, basically. But the Hawks are playing a little better in some key areas. And I think that the, they certainly uh, got a nice win tonight and the mood was relatively upbeat um, as a result of that. All right, we'll touch on all of what kind of this one unfolded throughout the game, the buzzer beater at the end of the podcast, at the, other, at the end of the game, I should say, as well as kind of how it unfolded with the lack of a timeout. That's, that was kind of a storyline after the game as well. And at the end of the show, we'll talk about some trade rumor stuff as well. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Around the new year, it's sometimes we get obsessed with actually how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right in our lives. And maybe you've already organized part of your spaces. You might have tackled more of them, perhaps. Maybe you're taking supplements every morning. You actually want to eat breakfast as well. Therapy can help you find your strengths and you can actually ditch the extreme resolution that some people have and make changes that actually stick in your life. Therapy, therapy can be something that you look forward to, so they make you feel grounded, even give you the tools to manage everything going on in your life. And if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try right now. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do with, better, with BetterHelp is fill out a brief questionnaire, and they'll actually match you to a licensed therapist. If you ever want to change therapists, you can do so at any time for no additional cost, and they will actually make everything easy for you at BetterHelp. Celebrate the progress that you've already made with the folks at BetterHelp. And the place to go is BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp dot com slash locked on nba one more time better help that's h-e-l-p dot com slash locked on nba today's show is sponsored by the folks at FanDuel sportsbook and the nfl playoffs are here and there's time to get on the action right now with america's number one sportsbook and of course that is FanDuel. right now if you're a new customer get 150 in bonus bets guarantee when you place a five dollar bet that's 150 bucks in your in bonus bets win or lose the FanDuel Sportsbook app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet at FanDuel. They have live same-game parlays. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is the best way to find popular parlays available to you. Also find the bets that you're looking for in the new Explore tab, and they have all the old favorites as well. Point spreads, over-unders, money lines, player props, future bets, and much more. The app is safe and secure. They cover the entire range of sports as well. They have the NFL, of course, NBA, WNBA, college basketball, MLB, golf, tennis, soccer, auto racing, boxing, MMA, and many more. And all the angles that you're looking for on the Hawks, including the full slate of offerings on every game, of course, futures, player award stuff, and much more. And now is an awesome time set up with the folks at FanDuel Sportsbook. And a place to go right now is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make your first bet a layup with FanDuel. The place to go one more time is FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel official partner of the NFL. All right, to the game itself now, and uh, as I said before, the Hawks were favored in this game. Ironically, the, the number got bet up during the day. During the day, actually opened three and a half. They closed four and a half. People were asking me why that would be, and look, I understand the Hawks have struggled, but the underlying metrics still like the Hawks more than the uh, actual sort of market feel of them, and also Orlando has been pretty ordinary without Franz Wagner, um, to say the least, so keep that in mind. Um, early in the game, Trey was actually limping around a little bit. He had a he kind of had a hard fall after a turnover. Uh, he's had some calf issues. He's had all kinds of injury issues right now. He's really banged up. He stayed down for a long time in the middle of the game. Ended up coming back in and looked okay after that, but that was notable to me. Um, rotationally, they actually played only eight guys in this one, which I was all right with. Uh, it's not a back-to-back. They had yesterday off. They had tomorrow off. That allowed them to go ahead and do that a little bit more, and the Hawks were able to play at least willing to play the two bigs together a few different times. And that was kind of the pathway to playing eight guys instead of going to, uh, you know, the usual nine or so. Um, so they played, I think, Capella and Kongu three or four different times together briefly. Um, Garrison Matthews was the eighth man in this game. He actually played pretty well, in my opinion. I'll back to that later on. Um, they got down sixth in the first quarter, and it was kind of, that was the large, largest deficit of the night in a lot of ways. Uh, Quinn burned his challenge in the first quarter in a way that, was a little bit frustrating. To me, I think he was kind of right that the original call was wrong. 
So that's only part of the calculus, though. Um, especially in the NBA rules where you have to have the first one be right or you don't get another one. Um, it was a low probability of overturn. It was basically uh, a verticality play in which, like again, I think it was the wrong call on the court and it probably should have been overturned. But the low probability of overturning it made it kind of a, a, a questionable challenge. Then also, it was a two-shot foul potentially in the first quarter. And generally speaking, I would wait till there's a high leverage moment to do that unless it's a three-shot three, three foul or one that you know is going to be overturned. And this call was a judgment call. Like, again, I think it was the wrong result in the end. It should have been the, going the Hawks' way, but not my favorite challenge, let's just say. And later on, there was a couple spots where I was like, hey, I could probably use a challenge right now, and they didn't have one. Um, still, though, they got, they got a couple dunks for Bakongwu late in the first quarter when Trey and Bogey were sort of able, able to get to the middle of the floor. Um, and despite shooting the ball poorly from three-point range early on in the game, the Hawks were able to get downhill and make a bunch of easy ones at the rim. The Hawks also got hosed on a very bad non-call in the second quarter. Jalen got hammered across the arms and should have been a foul. It was not called. It was actually real out of balance of the Magic, so a pretty bad swing in favor of Orlando at that, on that, at that moment. Trey did kind of find it after that. He actually had a kind of a rough start, but Trey found his footing as a passer in particular um, in the middle of the game. A couple of vintage passes. That's the line a couple times as well. But the Hawks turned them all over early and often. I know I talked about it earlier, but they had 13 turnovers in the first 18 minutes. So they were actually better, quote-unquote, after that. But, man, it was really rough ball security-wise, especially in the first quarter and a half of the game. Um, even the guys, like, you know, Trey and Murray are going to have turnovers, and they combined for 13 of the 23 from the Hawks. That's a lot. That's probably too many. But it's the other guys that you can't afford. Like, you can't afford Garrison Matthews to have two, two turnovers. You can't afford Conwood to have two turnovers. You can't have Jalen have four. So, like, it was the supporting guys and the, and the high-volume guys in this game. Um, and on the glass, they got bludgeoned. And actually, you know, I said it before, the Hawks lost the field goal attempt battle in this game by 12. They actually were minus 13 in the first half. So in the second half, they actually took more shots. They kind of grounded it back into there. But the first half was so lopsided, and it was kind of a miracle. The Hawks were only down by two at the end of the first half. So there you go. Um, in the first 30 seconds or so, sorry, first 90 seconds or so of the third quarter, Jalen Johnson had one of the plays of the year, maybe? He absolutely annihilated Gogo Batazzi on a dunk that I'm sure you've seen by now, but if you haven't, go find it right now on your highlight platform of choice. A poster of epic proportions, a lot of fun, and uh, an eruption in the arena for sure. Um, turnovers kept coming, though. The Hawks had 17 early in the third. Another, there was another bad one. It led to a three by, by Orlando, and that put the Hawks down by seven, which was their largest deficit of the game mid-third quarter. They did shoot the ball well, though, in the third, did the Hawks, and they had a big run late in the third to kind of take the lead, and uh, they were kind of not in control, but they were at least in touch after that. A 16-5 run by the Hawks late in the third quarter. Akongu tried to have, by the way, a massive dunk as well. He missed it, but it would have been an absolute, like, bring the house down attempt that did not go in. And uh, how about this? The Hawks won the third quarter in this game, which might not seem like a lot, but the Hawks did not win a third quarter in the month of January. It is January 17th as I record this podcast. So they were over the month in third quarters, but they won one today. And how about this? They had eight turnovers in the third quarter and still won it because they made shots all the way around. They were, they were actually up to, after three quarters, with 21 turnovers. And the end of the game was 23. So they did a good job in the fourth quarter. So that, that's a positive. But man, crazy turnover stuff. Um, Trey had two crazy, wild, awesome passes early in the fourth quarter. One to Okongu, one to Bogey. Um, but other than that, it was basically a nip and tuck fourth quarter. Like, the entire way through. It was never out of out of range for either, either side. Um, they were down, like, one with 4.30 to go. And they actually, I kind of called my shot on this. With eight minutes to go, they took Capella and put him back into the game earlier. Sorry, they took Capella. Yeah, 
put him back in the game earlier than usual, which kind of indicated to me that they might go back to Okongwu to close the game, which I was okay with. In fact, I called for that mid-game. I know I'm sort of the, seen as the Capella guy, but I was all right with going to Okongwu. Um, I just kind of saw it coming a little bit. It was a little bit odd that they actually put Capella in out of the timeout and then on the next whistle took him out, which is a little bit strange. I'm not sure why they did that. Um, I did not like, though, uh, closing with Bay over Bogey in this game. I would have, and I said this in real time, I would have closed with Bogey and Akongwu. But if you had to pick one of those two, two, one of those two to, to go with, I would have gone with Bogey over Bay instead of Capella over Akongwu. But uh, it didn't bite them. Bay had a rough one. But you could say, if you're going to go with Akongwu, that you might want Bay's just physicality, rebounding-wise, maybe a little bit over, over Bogey. But I didn't love that, let's just say. Anyway, the Hawks are up by one point, about two minutes to go. And they got five rebounds on the offensive glass on the same possession. And that was a huge swing of the game. I know, obviously, Murray's shot at the end is the biggest moment of the game. No question about that. But other than that, I would point to that possession. Where the Hawks were up by one, yes. But they basically had like a 45-second possession, ended up scoring. And it was a big, big play. Um, just a massive swing. And honestly, one the Hawks have not made a lot of this year. That was good to see. Um, they were up three after that. They did a lot of layup pretty quickly, but they never trailed again after that play. Trey got fouled a couple times, made his free throws in this game, and uh, put the Hawks up by three with about 27 seconds to go or so. And honestly, Orlando had a very bad possession, I thought, after that. Uh, Akangwu kind of didn't play it perfectly because they were up three, and what you don't want to do there is give up a three to, to, to Boncaro. It was a pretty tough shot. Paolo's not a great shooter from the perimeter. He's capable of making that shot, and he made it. Um, that was kind of It was kind of a little bit of a... A slight mistake from Akongwu, I thought, maybe. But it was not badly played. It's just, just a hat tip shot. He made it. Uh, but the good thing is you're up three, so you have the ball back. Uh, and then, then things get pretty interesting. Uh, if you watch the play, Trey is demonstrative after that happens. And I noticed that in real time, even from not like far, super far away from where we sit on the media row, but it's not like super close. Anyway, I saw Trey reacting and kind of jumping around. I wasn't sure if he was asking for the ball or what happened. But after the game it became more clear. So Quinn talked first as always, and he kind of gave a non-answer about calling timeout. Um, he kind of said like, that's the decision every game, et cetera. He gave a lot of credit to DJ, et cetera, as he would do. But from what Trey said, he w- that Quinn actually was gesturing for timeout because the Hawks were trying to get the timeout. And because Trey saw that, and he was mad at the official for not giving him the timeout. That's kind of what Trey said. Uh, for what it's worth, Murray didn't say the same thing. He said Trey was denied the ball, so he got the ball made a play, which is a very normal thing that you would do. That does not mean that Quinn didn't try to call a timeout, because in fact, if you see the tape, Quinn is calling timeout. You, you can see it on the video, you can see him gesture for it. I will say, Quinn did not like go on the floor to call the timeout. Like He could have been a little bit more demonstrative on that. But anyway, if you watch the video, Quinn ca- tries to call timeout. It isn't given to them. Um, Trey's kind of denied from there. DJ gets the ball and goes down the floor. So, in the end, who cares? They won the game. But it was kind of a funny, weird moment. Like, there was some confusion. Trey was kind of out of the play, behind the play. Murray takes a shot that was, like, not the greatest look in the world. But, obviously, look, this one of the reasons why Murray is an in-demand player, no matter what you think about him at this point in time, um, his defense, his fit with the Hawks, all that stuff, um, put it all aside for now, Murray is a good shot creator. He can get to his shot. And that's something that is very valuable on a lot of different teams. Especially, with, like, for instance, when the Hawks don't have Trey on the court, they need that with DeJounte. And this is a good opportunity of that where, like, Trey's behind the play, and DJ just gets to his look. It's not a great shot. It's contested. 
but that's a shot that he A, can make, and B, can create, and he did it. And you're in a tie game. What you don't want to do there is not get a shot off, and they were able to do that. If he misses it, no harm, no foul, go to overtime. I wouldn't have minded a timeout. They weren't in the greatest position in the world, but like it worked. And I think that's a hat tip to Murray. Um, part of why he's good is they can make he, is that he can do that. He can go get the shot. Uh, Trey said that he, um, I, I, something like uh, DJ just got like you know did his thing basically like in a positive direction. Like Murray's able to do that, and he went and did it, and uh, they got the win as a result. So it wasn't always the prettiest down the stretch, but the Hawks made plays, and that was a, a positive thing to see all the way around. Um, quickly now to the player stuff on today's podcast. Again, only eight guys appeared. For Atlanta in this game. Uh, Garrison Matthews played the least. It was basically seven guys, and then Garrison was the clear number eight, as usual. I thought he played well, though. Six points on three shots, hit two threes, had four rebounds, had a steal. I thought he competed very well in this one off the bench. One of his better games recently, so uh, he earned those minutes. Um, we'll put this discussion to Scott about, about that lineup, about the lineup choices, etc. I thought that was uh, he gave them good minutes in this game. Uh, Mogdanovich. Probably should have played more, but at 12 points, four rebounds, an assist and a steal on a block, hit two threes, um, played well. And I'll say this now, like it was kind of it was hard to watch, but Bogey, if you were not following the NBA non-Hawks storylines, um, an assistant coach for the Warriors actually passed away suddenly. It was a terrible story. Um, there was a game, there was a game postponed tonight. Um, but anyway, he had he has extensive ties to Bogey. And Igor Igor Koskov, who also coached for the Hawks, he's from Serbia. And Bogey talked after the game. Um, without going all the way into it, Bogey was clearly affected, and understandably so. This guy he looked up to for a long time. Uh, he was very reflective after the game. He said even that he thought about not playing, and then he realized that, you know, basically he, he thought that he would have wanted him to play, and I get all that too, but Bogey said post-game that he didn't even remember what he did during the game. So, like, he was certainly in a weird place mentally, and I don't blame him at all for all of that stuff. He was emotional, but I thought he played well. And uh, he was very reflective and open with the media after the game um, just to kind of see that. But anyway, that was it was kind of a difficult thing to like, kind of tackle. Even, even pregame, Quinn was very uh, kind of emotional and taken off by that because the whole NBA was. There was a moment of silence for the game. It was a kind of a weird overtone to the game in, in general. But with Bogey and Igor in particular, I'm sure heavy hearts and Bogey, like even thinking about not playing, is, speaks for itself. But I thought he played well in the game. It's a basketball podcast, obviously. So I, th- I thought he played well. And gave them good minutes, uh, and obviously probably should have played more. But uh, with all the with all the stuff that going on going on, going on in his head, I'm sure it was even more difficult than usual for Bogey. But there you go. Uh, Kongwu played well off the bench and should have closed. As I said before, I thought he was their option that was the better one. He was more ver- more versatile in this one um, than than Kongwu uh, than Capella was, I should say. Rebounded the ball well, 15 points on rebounds for uh, for Nick in this game. He had uh, you know was efficient around the rim. Uh, plus seven in the game, two turnovers, but that's that's totally fine. I thought he gave good minutes, good defense on on Paolo, good defense uh, sort of rotationally, etc. Good moments around the rim, so right move there, played well. Um, to the starters, Sadiq Bay, kind of a rough run for Sadiq again. He's just not shooting the ball well, and it's not anything breaking news. But I pulled this before the game tonight. In the previous nineteen games, Sadiq was shooting about twenty eight percent from three, and then tonight he was one of five. So. He's like 27% now over 20 games from three. And that isn't like a crazy huge sample size. I'm not going to tell you that's going to be damning for his career. But what I will say is that Bay's got to make threes or he really does not have a ton of ancillary value. Now he does have, he's okay getting into the rim. He's okay at rebounding sometimes, but defensively he hurts them a lot of ways. And 
Uh, he played a lot in this game. I get why he is big and physical, and Orlando is big and physical. And we talked about that after the game as well. Just the fact that they're not so big. The Hawks are pretty small in some respects. But um, I thought Bayes just got to make some shots, man. It's, it is what it is, but he's going to have to make some shots. And I'm sure he will. I think there's some positive regression coming for Sadiq. He's not this bad of a shooter. I'm very confident in that. But right now, he's also like hesitating a little bit. Maybe some confidence issues. I'm not sure what's going on there. But um, something to circle for sure moving forward. Uh, Capella. 12 points, three rebounds, had a steal. He was um, 12 points on six shots, so that's obviously very good. Um, I thought the first half, he weirdly had rebounding issues. Like, Clint's always a good rebounder. He was not in the first half. It was not all on Clint. That's something that I think people were kind of being silly about during halftime. But he was not good out of the glass in the first half. His hands were kind of weird, etc. He did finish around the rim. No, no miss bunnies in this one, as Clint wants to do. I thought he was pretty good defensively in the game overall. And second half, rebounded, rebounded better. But again, I thought Akangu was just a little bit better, more versatile in offense, et cetera, in this one. And Clint was fine for the most part, other than the rebounding in the first half. But I thought that it was the right choice to not close with him. And uh, by the way, it's fine with me in general if they just kind of play play by ear. I think Quinn's done that before and not for a while. It's kind of, people talking about this tonight like as if, as if it's never happened. It definitely has. Quinn has closed with Akangu before. It's not the first time it's ever happened. But um, recently, it's been more rigid, I would say. Going back to Bay and back to back to Clint, um, I think the Hawks could be open to being more flexible there. And I think again, not to, not to toot my own horn, once they brought Capella back in earlier, it was kind of like a hey, we might bring Anyaka back, and they did it. So just notable. And by the way, again, no issues with that whatsoever. Uh, Jalen played 38 minutes in this one. He wasn't fantastic. 10 points on nine shots from the field, three from the free throw line. Nine rebounds, though. That was big. Two steals, three assists, the huge dunk. Did have some mistakes, for sure. Four turnovers and defensive kind of flops, but I thought he did a good job on Paolo. I thought that Jalen, um, it's a good matchup. It's nice to have a guy who is the, the size of Jalen, 6'10 or so, and long, on a guy like Paolo. And I think, like, you know, Paolo's very physical. Jalen's going to make some, like, over-eager mistakes, but certainly it's just good to have a guy to throw on Paolo as a full-time guy. And I think he did, he did a very good job defensively in this one. And then Trey and DJ in the backcourt, uh, Trey had 18 points, 12, 12 assists, did have eight turnovers. It was not his best night by any means. I think Trey, uh, especially early on, the first quarter, was really, really rough. Once he settled in, he was fine, but um, certainly too many turnovers in this game and didn't shoot the ball well at all. Four of eight from the from two, I should say, one of six from three. That's the line seven times. Had some nice moments, but not his best. And then DeJounte, um, 26 points, five rebounds, five assists, five turnovers as well. Um, 10 of 14 on twos, one of four from three. You know, defensively, it's still... Uh, Hit and miss, let's just say, with DeJounte, but obviously the big shot of the night, a huge one there. A couple of really tough shots. He was the one that actually scored on the big possession late but when they got all, all the rebounds on the offensive glass. So uh, big plays down the stretch from DeJounte. Quinn was uh, pretty effusive in praising uh, Trey and DeJounte for the way they played off each other in this game. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about DeJounte stuff and trade stuff in a second after this next break, but... Um, basketball-wise on the court tonight, he was a big part of the win, and I think, obviously, he's a good player. People get lost in that. Uh, I, I know it might seem like I'm critical of DeJounte sometimes, and that's probably fair to say, but, like, he's still good at basketball, and there's a reason why he's in demand. He should be. He's a good player, and he pulled him out of the fire in a couple different ways in this game. All right, we'll have more on this stuff coming up when it comes to the trade rumor mill and uh, sort of a roundup because I've got a lot of questions about the latest and what's being out there and what's going on, and we're, and we're now officially three weeks from the deadline, so we'll get to all that in a second. But first, it worked from our sponsors on the show tonight. 
Today's show is brought to you by eBay Motors, and passion, drive, and patience are what bring home the winning trophy, and that's also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you're looking for to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. They have superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered across the board. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for at eBay Motors. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber and not burning cash. With all the parts that you need at the prices that you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win that you're seeking right now. Keep a ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. One more time, the place to go is ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit is only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's show is sponsored by Jace Medical, and I'm coming to sports sometimes to escape from the crazy realities of life, but if you don't mind, I'll talk to you for a second about preparing for real life. According to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in recent memory, and that's scary stuff for a lot of different people. It would be helpless if you have someone in your life or a close friend that got sick while supply chain issue comes to them and actually gave the life-saving medication that they actually needed. Thankfully, though, there is Jace Medical to help you with that. They offer the Jace case, which is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses that includes UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, and many others. This could happen to anybody. And you want to be prepared for that because preparedness is very, very important in any context. And the place to go is jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter right now. It'll be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed to you by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important, like it is all the time, to be prepared, and it's never been more important than right now today to do that. And the place to go one more time is jacemedical.com. Use the offer code Locked On to get twenty dollars off your order at jacemedical.com. That's jacemedical.com. Use the offer code Locked On. All right, and in lieu of a traditional mailbag segment of, of any kind, I got lots of questions about different trade rumors and what was reported and all that stuff. Um, I've covered a lot, so if you want to listen back to some old stuff, I certainly would listen. recommend that. A lot of it is still relevant. What Woe just said, what I've said, what I've written, what's been out there about the Lakers and the Knicks and all that stuff, relevant right now. But some stuff changed in the last few days. So Pascal Siakam, off the market. Now, I've reported a couple times that Siakam was not really on the radar for the Hawks the last few days, uh, weeks maybe. Um, that was the case. I stand by that. And uh, he's going to the Pacers now in a deal for Bruce Brown and picks. Um, they were not a serious player for him. The Hawks weren't until recently. Uh, they were and they were in the mix for a while. Obviously, you know, all summer long, the Hawks were kind of maybe the leading candidate to get Siakam. Um, as far as what he went for, I was surprised Toronto got as much, as much as they did, actually, at this point in time. They got three first-round picks. Now, they're not great picks by any means. And they get Bruce Brown, who's a very useful player. Um, I got some questions about whether the Hawks could have matched this or would have wanted to match it. I would say probably not at this point. They don't have the same draft capital that the Pacers did. Even if you kind of throw in a guy like AJ or Buffkin or something like that in place of a pick, the Hawks were not going to trade this this kind of package for a player on an expiring contract. Um, it's a Hawks podcast, so I'll move on after this, but there was a very specific statement from Siakam's agent that was kind of out there. It's very optimistic about staying in Indiana. Um, they can't formally agree, but all indications are Siakam would like to stay in Indiana at this point in time, and I think that this deal does not happen if he was not playing to stay in Indiana. And that is not something the Hawks had from Siakam's camp this summer. So that's kind of the huge difference there between the two. And uh, there you go, a guy off the board at this point in time. Uh, going back to uh, actual Hawks stuff for now. Uh, Mark Spears of Anscape talked to DeJounte Murray in pretty deep fashion over the weekend. Wrote up a whole piece about it. Um, I recommend reading the whole thing to hear from DeJounte and a lot of different stuff. But in the story, Spears wrote the following, quote, The Hawks have come to the realization that the pairing of Murray and Young isn't working. End quote. That is similar to what Woj has reported, 
and what I've kind of cited previously. I found it notable, though, that it was directly in a piece that, that DeJounte was interviewed for one-on-one. So that's uh, not, as, not, I think that's kind of notable to me. If you're a new listener, I'll repeat some of the stuff uh, that I said before, but I think this is a two-way desire at this point for the Hawks to be moving on, as some reporting has echoed, and also that Murray and his reps are ready to go as well. That does not mean it's going to happen. Like, it certainly could not at this point. It is not a guarantee. Woe just said it's likely. I agree it's likely from what I hear, but there's still three weeks left till the deadline. And again, trades are hard. I say it all the time. Trades are difficult to execute, but that's where we are right now. I'm on high alert, but nothing is official and certainly nothing is imminent at this point in time. Josh just made a game winner for the Hawks. It is what it is, but uh, that's where the trade winds are blowing right now on that front. Uh, to that end, Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer, who reports lots of different things that I don't always hear the same things on, but um, he said the standard ask for the Hawks has been two first-round picks in packages for DeJounte. That's kind of what I expected for the most part and what I've heard. Of course, that is flexible based on who else is in the deal, what else is going on there for the Hawks, but that's notable to me. ESPN's Brian, Brian Windhorst reported that the Nets are a team to monitor for Murray, and I saw at least two more Nets reports backing that up in recent days, including from Ian Begley of um, SNY. He mentioned that Special Dividity would be a part of that deal, probably. That makes sense because of just the logistics of that deal. And the Nets make a lot of sense to me as a Murray team. Like, I'm not heard that they are super, super, super in right now, but they do logically make sense because, you know, for me, I've always thought that DeJounte would be better off on a team that he's like the clear number one guard on, more of a ball handler, point guard type, um, because, you know, all that all that, all that said, like weaknesses, strikes, et cetera, I think he would be good alongside Michael Bridges. Um, the Nets will have a point guard right now. Brooklyn could use an upgrade there. Also, I kind of like Orlando for DeJounte, which is ironic if, they, if the Hawks just beat them. On a buzzer beater by DeJounte, but I think he makes some sense there as well. So there are teams to keep an eye on. I still think right now, as of Wednesday evening into Thursday, the Lakers are the most likely destination if I had to guess one. That does not mean 51%. It just means if you if you make me pick, pick one team other than the Hawks that he'll be on, I would say probably the Lakers. But still, there's not a terribly exciting package awaiting the Hawks from the Lakers, I don't think, at this point in time. It's a basketball fit and a logical fit because of the fact that he can play point guard there. Um, clutch sports rep- rep- represents DeJounte, et cetera, LeBron, et cetera, all that stuff. And they have some interesting stuff. They have a first-round pick to trade in 2029. They have Max Christie. They have Jalen Trofino, a first-round pick from this year. But all the matching salary options are not fantastic for the Hawks. Um, if you look at the Lakers, D'Angelo Russell has the player option for next year. Not a great fit in Atlanta with Trey. He's much more of an on-ball guy. He and Trey would not be a good fit whatsoever. Uh, Rui Hachimura has not played that well this year. Has a long-term deal that I think is potentially negative value overall right now. Gabe Vincent um, is making like 10 or 11 million from the Lakers, which is not, not a ton of money, but he's been hurt like all this year and is not, you know, the healthiest guy. And honestly, wasn't that good in Miami other than like one stint last year. So it's not crazy money for him. It's kind of like backup money, but... If you get to like him and Huchavino, they could make the deal happen money-wise, but um, I don't love that contract right now. Then there's Austin Reeves, who I think is on a good contract for sure, but the Lakers seem to love him. That's one thing. And he's also a very bad defender, so him and Trey don't make the greatest fit in the world. Uh, they're both Oklahoma guys, but other than that, I don't love that. Um, I think you still rather get him in a trade if you had to make a trade with the Lakers because he has value, but I think he's worth more than another team than he would be to Atlanta is my um Short synopsis on Austin Reeves. Um, other than that, Mark Stein wrote in his newsletter that DeAndre Hunter is actually said to be another name to watch in Cleveland's ongoing search for a 3 and D upgrade at the wing spot. Hunter's been tied there before. Nothing definitive there. Stein did write about his challenging payroll fit 
quote-unquote, for uh, Hunter in Cleveland. That makes sense. Cleveland has a lot of commitments to four different guys, and adding a fifth guy who makes $20 million is kind of tough for DeAndre. They have to match salary with, like, Karis LeVert or Max Struess or Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade, George Niang, etc. Hunter would fit there basketball-wise, but no one around the league right now is itching to trade for DeAndre Hunter. He's got the injury stuff. He's not playing right now, which is always hard. Plus, the contract is not, like, the best in the world. And that's kind of where things are in general for Hunter and Capella both. It's hard to find teams that are, like, actively trying to buy on, on, on these guys. Like, for Hunter, it's the long-term contract. It's his injury history. It's the current injury. And, like, yes, there's utility in a guy who's 6'8", and is playing forward, and every team wants that, but like he can't prove himself right now. He's not played in a lot in several weeks now. That's kind of tough. Then you have Capella, who is not the same guy he used to be. That's one thing. Um, he's and also some of it's that like at center, if you already have a good center, you're not gonna trade for another one. And most of the good teams, I'm not gonna I won't go down the list. Most of the top 10 teams in the league, or top 12, 13, 14 teams in the league, have centers already. Like, and they're not gonna trade assets or trade for a guy who's making 20 million dollars. As a guy, you know, maybe the Knicks right now would need a center, but they had Mitchell Robinson coming back in the future. So, like, you know, there are teams that could definitely use Capella. No question about that. But whether they're going to actively trade for him right now is another issue. So, you need a team that's kind of like yearning for a center, and it's hard to do in the middle of the season. So, I would say, in general, deals for Capella and Hunter are more likely to wait until close to the deadline. Whereas, like, Murray is in the kind of tier of a player that could be traded now more often because, as you've seen... The two big deals that have happened so far, way before the deadline, had big-time players in them. Ananobi in one, and Siakam in the other. That's the same team who's kind of blowing it up, and those are two guys that are much more on the level of Murray than they are on the level of Hunter, Capella, or even Bogey. Um, it's just notable. Like The bigger names can move kind of whatever they want to. Um, the smaller names, not necessarily like small, small, small names, but like you know, starter, star-level guys, don't usually get traded until closer to the deadline. So... Maybe, maybe it'll be packages, like all kinds of options on the table. All the discussions we, that we've had previously about like the whole team is available right now, other than Trey and Jalen, still all that still stands. But um, hold your breath. I'll be here throughout the uh, throughout the mix here, but there you go. All right. That's enough of that on this Wednesday into Thursday. We'll have more on that if we need to. But from here, the Hawks play back-to-back on Friday and Saturday. Friday's a, ro- Friday's a road game in Miami. A late start, by the way. It's 8 o'clock start on Friday night. Uh, notable there. And then Saturday is back at home against Cleveland. So a kind of a tough turnaround against two pretty good teams. Um, I might have a show between now and then. I'm not entirely sure just yet. I might be doing a guest crossover edition, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not. Um, but stay tuned, of course. And I will certainly have podcasts after the games on Friday and Saturday, if nothing else. And also, please subscribe to the podcast. Check out the audio-only feeds of this of this show, where you will also get bonus content from the Lots on Sports Atlanta crew. They record postcast episodes that go on our on our audio feeds and their own YouTube feed. If you want, um, you know, just me, you can also watch on YouTube. But I would recommend doing all of it. Audio-only feeds: Apple, Spotify, Overcast, etc. Also YouTube. Subscribe multiple times. Rate, review, spread the word about the podcast. Follow the show on Twitter slash X at Lots on Hawks. Follow me there as well at BT Roland. I also write about the Hawks at patreon.com slash BT Rowland to support the work there as well. It would be very much appreciated. Enjoy the rest of your day and hopefully maybe the rest of your week. And uh, if nothing else, I'll be back later on this week with more content about the Atlanta Hawks. Stay tuned and we'll see you next time.